name is Dustin. I'm the lead pastor here. Let's remain standing uh, out of respect for God's Word if you're able. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's printed Word out in It's page 1033 in those blue hardback Bibles if you need it. Uh, This morning we're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. Uh, If you don't know, we're in a short series right now up until Pentecost called Encountering Jesus, uh, the women in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at one of the most famous passages of women in the Gospel of Luke, that of Martha and her sister Mary. Uh, I wish I could keep going into all of the great uh, women that Luke is going to write about. I don't even have time to do uh, all the women in the book of Acts. There's Tabitha, Lydia, Priscilla, who's the wife of Aquila, Mark's mother Mary, Rhoda, Philip's four daughters who prophesy, the lady Damaris, who's converted to Christ on Mars Hill, and Bernice. So all that to say, this is a pretty interesting series to do. Uh, Luke definitely has an eye for women and wants them to know that they are welcome to the kingdom of God. With that, let's look at one of those most famous passages of women in the Gospel of Luke, Martha and Mary. Friends, hear the word of the Lord to us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together as we keep those Bibles open in front of us. Father, we thank you for this story of Martha and her sister Mary, and Lord, we thank you that they are such beautiful examples of following you, and Lord, that we can see ourselves so much in them, and Lord, we pray that we would see Jesus all the more clearly because of their story, and Lord, I pray that everyone listening to me now would have an encounter with your son and know that he sets them free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, I've got to admit, I love a good call and response. So let's try a, f- a couple, okay? We're going to try. This is a, it's a class exercise. Are you ready? So uh, Christ is risen. Oh, very good. Uh, I love a good call and response. You guys were ready. All right, let's try one a little bit more complicated. Uh, God is good. Wait, does everybody know this one? So let's try. Okay, so God is good. And all the time. Especially today. You know that? Got to add a little bit to it, right? All right, uh, another one. The Lord be with you. <laughs> that one's split. You can say, and also with you, or and with your spirit. Uh, let's try, and also with you. The Lord be with you. All right. Uh, do we have, uh, there may be a couple people in the room who hail from Oklahoma. I know we have some Oklahoma grads, so let's try a different call and response. Boomer. No one knows this one? Where are the Cranenbergs when you need them, right? Where's uh, Linda Kinsey when you need her? All right, so if you're an Oklahoma Sooners football fan, this is, I'm not going to charge you for this. This is just free of charge, okay? So if you're an Oklahoma football fan, you say boomer, and then they respond with what? Sooner. All right, that one didn't quite hit the mark. I was really hoping that some of our Oklahoma grads would be in the room. It's all right. 
There's someone in the world watching online right now that's like, I know that. <laughs> well, you weren't here. All right, uh, last one. What's the main thing? Nope. You got it wrong. What's the main thing? Mm -mm. It's not Jesus. Well, it is, but not right now. <laughs> the wording is important. What's the main thing? Follow, follow with me. Oh, one person got it. All right, Brent, share it with us. What's the main thing? Oh, not quite. Mm -mm. Mm. Nope, nope, nope. If you're looking for grace, you're not going to get it right now. The, all right, ready? What's the main thing? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The more you say it, the more you'll remember. What's the main thing? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So what's the main thing? Very good. Yeah, so when you and I get to this story of Martha and Mary, the reason I'm belaboring this call and response is because if nothing else, this is a story about losing sight of the main thing. I mean, really, what is the main thing? The main thing really is, it's not just a pithy saying, and I'm stealing it from Stephen Covey, of course, you know, his seven habits of highly effective people. You know, what's the main thing? Well, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's the main thing in your life. And you and I can be distracted by all kinds of things. In fact, uh, you're being distracted right now. Uh, the Guardian, a British newspaper, says that you and I, we check our phones every 12 minutes, which means that you and I have probably checked it three times at least. And now you're thinking about checking it right now. I'm literally watching you. You're looking at your phone right now. You know, it's like Pavlov's dog. I just mentioned your phone. Like, oh, I should look at my phone. Maybe I'm missing something. You and I are in danger of being so distracted that we lose sight of the main thing. And you and I, we can find all kind of good things to get distracted by and to focus on. But this story is a wonderful tuning fork to make sure that we are in tune with the Lord and what, what life truly is. You know, and Jesus comes along and he has the audacity to say that he is life and that he has come so that you can have life abundantly. Another way of saying it is he has come so that you can have life to the full. And if you don't listen to Jesus' teachings, you can miss the main thing. So let's look at how this story pans out. And I want you to understand that the main thing really is to keep the main thing. And that's the main thing of this story that we're looking at today. So uh, look with me at verse 38 through 42. So now most people know the story of Martha and Mary. And, you know, it, you know, it may seem like as soon as I talk about this that, you know, most people will start to think, oh, no, here comes the Martha and Mary story again. Because poor Martha, she's the one having to cook the meal, and she's supposed to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Isn't that this unfair story? I mean, that's so great that Mary gets to sit and listen to Jesus, but somebody's got to cook dinner, right? Is that really what this story is about, the impossibility of doing everyday life and listening to Jesus at the same time? Well, no, that's not the point of this story, right? So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. The point is not that you're supposed to make a grand feast all of the time and also sit at Jesus' feet. Uh, that's a misunderstanding of what Luke is trying to communicate in this story. And so it's not that we're supposed to pit Martha versus Mary. That would be to misunderstand this story and to misunderstand what Luke, our author, is teaching us. 
Um, first off, what I want you to realize is that the reason that we get Martha and Mary is because Luke loves to depict things in pairs. Luke loves to have two things very similar uh, working together or, or being paralleled so that we can learn something about a bigger idea. I mean, think about the times that the Gospel of Luke mentions pairs, right? So at the very beginning, how many birth stories are there in the Gospel of Luke? He's the, he's the only author that does this. There's not just the birth of Jesus, there's the birth of whom? John the Baptist. And we're not just introduced to godly Mary, we're introduced to whom? Who's the other surprising mother in the Gospel of Luke? Elizabeth. So we get two birth stories, we get two surprising mothers, and then when Jesus goes to Jerusalem as a little infant, we're introduced to righteous Simeon, who is paired with whom? Anna, the prophetess. And then last week, you and I just looked at how Jesus brought a 12-year-old girl back from the dead, and he just so happened to heal a woman with a 12-year-old medical problem. Two women, 12 years, linking them. At the transfiguration, uh, when Jesus reveals a, a tiny portion of his glory uh, to uh, three of his disciples, who appears with them? A pair of men, Moses and Elijah. And then we get in our story, Martha and Mary. Jesus tells parables like the rich man and Lazarus, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, when Jesus uh, comes for the triumphal entry, how many disciples does he send out to take the donkey? Two. Uh, how many angels are at the empty tomb? Two. And how many disciples are on the road to Emmaus when Jesus talks to them and opens up to them the scriptures? Well, seven, but no, I'm just kidding. It's two. Yeah, it's two. Now, the reason I, I mention this to you is because I want you to understand something about the way Luke writes. He presents two things so that we can see a bigger concept at work. Uh, the, those two things are seen in tandem. So Martha and Mary are showing us something not just about ourselves, but about people in general and how they encounter Jesus. Something more is going on. So we're not supposed to pit Martha against Mary. Uh, you know, as I was studying this passage, I came across a fourth century Christian writer named John Cassian. And I, I love the way that he talks about this passage. Uh, John Cassian, this guy writing in the 300s, said, In looking after the Lord and his disciples, Martha did a very holy service. Mary, however, was intent on the spiritual teaching of Jesus. In saying Mary chose the good portion, he was saying nothing about Martha, and in no way was he giving the appearance of criticizing her. He was showing that Martha's role could be taken away from her. Since caring for the body can only last as long as the human being is there, whereas the zeal of Mary can never end. So to pit them against each other would really be to misunderstand the story and also how Luke basically writes with pairs. So let's go through this passage and let's see what Luke is trying to get us to see by presenting these two disciples that are distinct yet teaching us something about Jesus. Uh, look at verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So it says right there, they're on their way. See that right there in verse 38? And that may seem like a throwaway line, but if you were to study the Gospel of Luke, and I would encourage you to during this series, you'll know that those are loaded words for Luke. Luke means something more than just they were walking down the street. Because if you were to flip over in your Bible to Luke 9.51, if you were to look in your Bible at 9.51, I encourage you to do that, 
there is a hinge in the Gospel of Luke. The whole narrative of Luke changes based on one sentence. And if you were to understand Luke, you would know this one concept. In Luke 9.51, Luke writes, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to where? Jerusalem. No matter where Jesus is in Israel, after that verse, no matter what's going on in the Gospel of Luke, over and over and over again, Luke will tell you, and then he journeyed toward Jerusalem. Then he set his face towards Jerusalem. Even when he's going in the wrong direction, he's still going to Jerusalem. Now, why do you think Luke does that? He talks about Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem in 951, that verse, in 953, 1322, 1333, 1711, 1831, 1911. And at that point, he actually gets to Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. When he enters in Jerusalem and sends that pair of disciples out. And then he's in Jerusalem until his death and resurrection. So all that to say, the reason you need to know that is because this puts Jesus' journey into context. No matter where Jesus is at this point in his life, he's thinking about what city? What's he going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to die on a cross for the sins of the world and rise again, that he can reconcile people like you and me to God and show them that which is truly life. That's what's on his mind. Even when he turns to the south, he's still going to Jerusalem. Because over and over again, what is on Jesus' mind is what he has come to do. Jesus is not distracted. Jesus knows what his mission is, to seek and to save the lost, to shed his blood for people like you and me. And Jesus is thinking about Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah said he set his face like a flint, and he did not turn away from his mission. And so if that's on Jesus' mind, going to Jerusalem, facing his death, we also know then that Jesus is, has some heavy things on his mind, wouldn't you say? And if you know the Gospel of Luke, you may remember that Jesus also, uh, where's Jesus' house? Anybody, you remember, where does Jesus live? What's his address? I'm not talking about his summer home. I'm talking about his normal home. Where does Jesus live? Well, Jesus says, as they were going along the way, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So we know that Jesus was an itinerant preacher. In fact, Luke wants you to know that, to remember that he doesn't have a home. He's passing through this life, and he is dependent on the generosity of others. In fact, Luke wants you to know that so much that he mentions the women by name who financed Jesus' ministry. And then he mentions the women by name who let him stay in their homes as he's going throughout the ministry. And those women include people like Martha. So Jesus is an itinerant preacher that has no home. He is going to face his death. And he's always surrounded by crowds and crowds of people who misunderstand what he's saying. Look at verse 38. With all of that in mind, as they go on their way to Jerusalem, with nowhere to lay his head, Jesus comes to a village, and he meets his friend Martha, and she welcomes him into her house. I think it's fair to say, friend, that Jesus is exhausted. Uh, he has no place to call his true home. And I think by the end of the story, what you'll see is probably more than anything, Jesus just wants a what? 
Okay, so, uh, you know, you know when you were like, you remember when you were 20? You remember that, those days? And some of you still are 20. Like, back, at, or you yeah, haven't gotten to 20 yet. But, you know, like on the weekend when you were 20, and people were like, hey, what are you doing? And if you said nothing, they were like, oh, what's wrong with you? Remember those days? You, know, you wanted to do stuff on the weekend? Well, then, like, after you stop being a young person, you get older, and you're like, what are you doing this weekend? And if someone, if you have the answer, nothing, they always smile. Somebody pointed this out to me. Nobody over the age of 30, when you say, what'd you do this weekend? If they say nothing, no one's like, nothing. They're like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> it was awesome. I just had a quiet weekend. I did nothing. I did nothing. I think it's fair to say that Jesus just wants a quiet meal. Wouldn't you say? Jesus just wants to be with friends. He doesn't want the hubbub. He doesn't want all of this, uh, you know, big pomp and circumstance. And Jesus goes into his friend's home, Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, and he wants a quiet meal. And what happens is uh, Martha welcomes him in. You know, she follows through with that sort of ancient Near Eastern world uh, expectation of hospitality, right? And she welcomes uh, Jesus into her home, and she begins immediately working on a huge meal. But verse 39, if you look down, we're introduced to Mary, Martha's sister, presumably her younger sister. We say that because Martha welcomed him in, probably suggesting this is Martha's home, since she's the one who welcomes him in. In verse 39, though, we are introduced to Mary, the younger sister, presumably. And what does she do? In verse 39, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So as Martha begins work on hospitality and getting this huge meal together, Mary just plops herself right down at the feet of Jesus. And now that may not mean anything to you. You're like, yeah, that's what Jesus is. He was a teacher. People like listening to him. But you may not be recognizing just how utterly shocking this statement is. This is one of the more fascinating things in the Gospel of Luke because you may remember that people would often call Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. And you know, 99 out of 100 people who encountered a rabbi were men. And men would sit at the feet of the rabbi and they would learn so that they, be, they could become a disciple of that specific rabbi. And they could say things like, I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul, or I follow Shemai, or I follow this rabbi. And yet, amazingly, what the Greek says here, if you were to look at the original language, is it says when Mary sat, it's actually a passive verb, which means she sat herself down. <laughs> she, she plopped down and sat herself down right at the feet of Jesus in the posture of a disciple. And Jesus began to teach her as a full disciple. This is one of the more shocking things that Jesus does is he accepts women to be his full disciple. This may start to explain some of the drama between Martha and Mary. Martha's thinking, who are you to sit yourself down at the feet of a rabbi? Get in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, this is part of the beauty of the kingdom of God is that it is for men and women. And Jesus makes this explicitly clear. I mean, this is part of the beauty of why I love baptism so much and why I'm excited uh, to, we're baptizing people on Wednesday and uh, this following Sunday, and I'm excited about a baptistry that we as a congregation can see men and women get baptized. You know, one of the beauties of baptism, it's something that men and women experience, right? Unlike circumcision, which was the mark of the old covenant that was only experienced by males, 
In baptism, men and women can profess their faith in Jesus. This is a beautiful moment in the Gospel of Luke. Mary, audacious Mary, sitting herself down as a full disciple at Jesus' feet. And Jesus begins to teach her. But of course, it's not without a little bit of drama. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, I love this. This is so great. It's so awkward. Lord Jesus, do what I'm telling you, (laughs) right? Typically not a good way of speaking to the Messiah, right? But we all do it. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. (laughs) You know, I love this passage because I see myself so much in Martha. I mean, how many of us have ever prayed just like that? God, don't you care? Don't you care? I mean, what in the world? I'm trying to give you this great meal. Don't you care? And then uh, look at my my lazy little sister. Tell her, Jesus, tell her what to do, right? Jesus, I, I have a great plan for my sister's life. If she would just listen to me, right? Look at verse 41 then. How does Jesus respond? I mean, you know, uh, let me just pause for a second. You know, typically, you know, you're trained, if you're trained in how to ask good questions, typically you're trained not to lead the witness. Like, don't you think U2 is the greatest band of all time? You know, like, you don't want to say that because then somebody, you know, is like, well, no, I don't actually. It's kind of awkward to say. But, you know, notice that Martha says, don't you care? Well, I mean, what is Jesus supposed to say to that? You're right, Martha, I don't care. No, he can't say that. It's a loaded question. There's no win, right? Don't you care? Tell her what to do. I mean, how would you respond to that? I mean, if you were in somebody's house, they said, don't you care? Get in here and help me. How would you respond? I mean, talk about an awkward question. I love how Jesus responds, though. Remember, Jesus is tired. Jesus is facing Jerusalem. We've turned the corner in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is going where? He's going to Jerusalem to die. Crowds are always around him. People are misunderstanding him. He probably just wants a quiet meal with his friends. And now, Martha is telling Jesus, don't you care about me? Don't you care? Tell my sister to get in there. I mean, how would you respond? Look at verse 41. Love how Luke always calls Jesus the Lord. <laughs> in case you're not getting who Jesus is. He's the Lord in human flesh. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, per Jesus' uh, pattern, Jesus is hesitant to pick sides when there's a family squabble. Uh, Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, somebody says, "Uh, Jesus, you know, can you tell my brother to split the inheritance with me fairly? And Jesus is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to get involved with that. (laughs) And here, of course, Martha's like, pick a side, Jesus. You're going to side with me or you're going to side with Mary. Tell Tell her what to do. But notice how gentle Jesus is. Notice that he calls her by name twice. And it's not that he's scolding her, but there's this sense of, remember who you are, Martha, Martha, my friend, Martha. 
you, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is really necessary. And then, uh, what does he say? Is he going to say, oh, I'm going to send Mary in there, or Mary, you should? Well, we don't know what happens next. Maybe, uh, you know, Mary does go in, and they all help with dinner. I don't know. Who knows what goes on? Luke's not interested in what happens next. But what Jesus does say in verse 42 is he says, you know what, though? Mary has chosen the good portion. It doesn't mean the better portion, per se, that she's, Mary's better than Martha, but it means that she's chosen the good option. She kept the main thing, the main thing, which was time with me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. So how are we supposed to understand this story? I mean, what are we really supposed to learn from Martha and Mary? And how does that help us? Uh, each one of us encounter Jesus. Uh, well, it's important for you to recognize that Martha is doing the right things, right? She's doing good things. But is it what Jesus actually wants? Do you catch that? She's doing good things. Is it right to host people in your home and make a big deal and a big fuss about it? Yeah, great. That's awesome. But is that actually what Jesus wants in that moment? You know, I think so often in our attempt to like love people, it's so amazing to me how quickly loving people really becomes about us and not the other person. Uh, you know, the Scottish uh, commentator, William Barclay, really pointed this out to me. In his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, uh, he says this, and he's going to misspell the word offense, but that's because he's Scottish, and we'll love him anyway. Uh, he writes in this uh, commentary on this passage, he says, here's one of the great difficulties in life. So often we want to be kind to people, but we want to be kind to them in our way. And should it happen that our way is not the necessary way, we sometimes take offense and think that we are not appreciated. If we are being kind, the first necessity is to try to see into the heart of the person we desire to help and then forget all of our own plans and to think of only of what he or she needs. You know, we can get so caught up in you know, our plans for what we want to do for others that we miss the main thing. We miss what actually loving other people look like. You know, and the hard thing about this is it's not just a matter of knowing the right things. Martha loves the Lord. Martha loves the Lord. She knows Jesus is the resurrection and the life. She is a believer in Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us that. Uh, you know, when their brother Lazarus later on dies, Martha goes straight to Jesus, and he says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And she says, yes, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. Martha is a believer. She knows all the right things. And yet there's this chasm in her life where even though she's doing the right things and she knows the right things, there's a disconnect. I mean, how is that possible? It's because I think she has plans for what she wants to do for Jesus rather than simply just wanting to be with Jesus. When it says that she's distracted with many things, you know, what that means is she's making a really big meal. She's got all these different spinning plates going on. And Jesus says, there's only one meal that's really important. <laughs> there's only one thing. And Jesus is using actually sort of a play on the words. You know, when he says there's only one portion necessary and Mary chose it, that word portion could also mean meal. What he's implying is, of course, well, you know, a simple meal would have been great because I really just want to spend time with you. So what is it that we're seeing in Martha? Well, it's good to welcome people, to be hospitable, 
But often when we try to love people, it can so subtly become about us rather than seeing the other person in their need. And then, of course, Jesus tells us what we're supposed to see in Mary. He says, you are distracted with many things. I mean, what, what does that mean? You know, how can we, you and I be distracted by many things? Well, you know, later on, Jesus is going to tell a parable about um, the gospel goes out like seed, and a guy broadcasts seed in all different kinds of soil, and some soil never accepts it. Some accepts it for a little while, but then the cares of this world and the desires of, for pleasure and riches choke out any hope of the gospel taking root. And then there are some people that are good soil, and the seed goes down and it brings new life. And there's this beautiful parallel between Martha and Mary and that soil. She's anxious and worried about the cares of this world, but her sister Mary is choosing the good portion, which is like the good soil that accepts the teachings of Jesus. So what is it that Jesus is getting at when he warns us about being distracted in this life or getting caught up in the cares of this world? Well, uh, you know, the Guardian said, you know, every 12 minutes you and I feel the need to check our phones. Uh, but, you know, when I think about distraction, you know, I think how often do you and I say that we're just too busy? I mean, how often have you said that in the, this past weekend? What's going on? Oh, I'm just so busy. You know, I'm not denying that you and I are busy, but I do often think about one of the most ironic tweets I've ever read, which was from a guy named John Piper. And he says, at the end of everything, the great use of Twitter will be to show that our prayerlessness was not from lack of time. <laughs> I'll say that again. John Piper tweeted this out, and I recognize that this is ironic, that he's tweeting this, but it's a great tweet. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter will be to prove at the last day that our prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Is it really that you and I are as busy as we claim, or do you think it's possible that you and I are just distracted with many new TV shows to watch and many new experiences to have? Is it possible that what's choking us isn't necessarily busyness, but the cares, pleasures of life, and riches? It's an introspective question that you need the Holy Spirit to guide you to answer. But what I can tell you is that what you and I consume, we want more of. The more we watch, the more we buy. It's amazing the more you want to watch and the more you want to buy. It's like distractions are addicting. Martha is the believer who knows all the right things. She's doing the right things yet she lives a distracted life where she never actually connects with the Lord. I mean, how many of us could say the same thing about ourselves? But this is why we have Mary, and this is why Luke gives us pairs, right? So if that's Martha, what are you and I supposed to learn from Mary? Well, right, she's the younger sister, maybe the more temperamental one, if you could say that, and yet she's also a model disciple of Jesus for men and women, you know, Jesus is tired, and he wants this meal, and she sits herself down at Jesus' feet. And she is a perfect example of what it looks like to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And what is the main thing? Trick question now. Jesus wanted a simple meal and to teach about the kingdom of God, and that was the main thing. What's Martha worried about? The hors d'oeuvres. And he's like, Martha, 
Don't miss the main thing in life. So let me do another call and response. Let's see if you know this one. I love a good call and response. What's man's chief end? Anybody know? Yeah. So a catechism is a question and answer that's meant to help us remember things. And the nice thing about catechism, if you've ever done catechesis, is you repeat the question in the answer, which is how you remember it. So this is why you say, what is the main thing? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, that's the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's their catechism, shorter catechism. It's a great explanation of what life is all about. What is the main thing? It is about glorifying God and enjoying him. Mm. Enjoying him forever. Everything else that you and I worry about, it's all passing away. It's all passing away. Your relationship with the Lord is the only relationship that will go on for eternity. It's the most important relationship you will ever have. God is your Father, and He created you, and He wants to spend eternity with you. Every investment you make in that relationship is worth your time and energy. Jesus says, I have come that you can have life and have it abundantly. Is He lying to you? Or is it possible that that's actually true, that He can show you that which is truly life? Because all kinds of people get caught up in riches and the pleasures of this life, and the hope of the kingdom is choked out. You see, Mary chooses the good portion. She's the good soil. She accepts the seed. It's the word taking root in her heart. And she sits at Jesus' feet, a full disciple. Isn't that beautiful? So let me just finish up. Um, Let's do some more call and responses. Let's try it one last time. What's the main thing? I'm so proud of y'all. All right, another call and response. What distracts you? What distracts you from Jesus? Are you busy with much service to the Lord? Is it the cares of this world? Desire for pleasures? The new RV you're hoping for? The new summer home? What would it take to sit at Jesus' feet like Mary? study from the master. What do you think would happen if you started to consume something different every night, like God's word and prayer? Or what if you started your morning like that every day in the presence of the Lord and just reminded yourself the main thing for today is to keep the main thing the main thing? Friends, I love a good call and response. And Jesus calls you and me to follow him So what's your response? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Martha and Mary. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you love them both. Uh, Father, we are so distracted. And Holy Spirit, we pray that we would keep our eyes totally on you. That we would be like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in everything that we can so that we can have that which is truly life. Uh, Father, give us eyes to see this world with clarity. Lord, that we would see the blessings of this life, but know how they are shortcomings when compared to knowing you. And Jesus, I pray that each one of us would know that which is truly life. In his name we pray, amen.